0: we are taking some time to work through aspects of the story of David, particularly as you find it in 2 Samuel, and that's a part of the passage that we've been doing again in the last number of weeks. And we're going to do that again. For a couple of weeks there, we just took a huge chunk of it, we really worked our way from chapter 13 of 2 Samuel to uh, chapter 2 of uh, 1 Kings. Trying to get a sense of the story, and I'm now what we're doing is we're just going back in and look at different aspects of it, and into it to highlight some things from it. And we're going to do that this evening. First of all, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, if I were to ask you for place names that you associate with important, uh, important political events uh, or religious events, what sort of names would you come up with? What are the places uh, that really spring to mind when I say politics? Yep. Who? okay, yeah? Jerusalem. 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 Sorry? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah. Capital Hill. Campbell Hill? yeah. Anyone else? Oh, Stroman? Can I hear a there? Can, I hear there? Can I hear there? Yeah. else? <laughs> <Stormont> there? <laughs> well, that's because you read so many you. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite right. Absolutely. Yeah, I do have a quick list of possibilities. I want to a bit more profile. Beltas, Dublin, Rome, Westminster, Stormont, Terry, Point, and you get a <laughs> <laughs> this evening is to look at some of the key places that are identified in the text that we looked at over the last couple of weeks and to retrace the steps of David um, as he flees from Absalom and just think about why a number of these places are highlighted and then what I'd like to do is to invite you to make a similar journey in your own minds, in your own heads here this evening so that's the plan of what we're going to do I've got a couple of maps here and to give you a bit of orientation. This one on the left, first of all, this one basically gives you a sense of the extent of David's kingdom. When David was king of Israel and uh, Israel was at its in terms of political power, this gives you an idea of the extent of it. Now the, the darker colored area is the land that they basically uh, occupy themselves as the Israelites were with David's room. These others around them here are areas that David conquered um, and, and was drawing sort of tax and tribute from these areas. Um, and then there's also an area up around here too um, which was a, an area where there was a, a kind of treaty agreement where people recognised that David was the man who was in control and they bet their taxes or whatever. Again. And it's a useful map because it just gives you a sense of the scale of what David was in control of never before and never since were the Israelite people that had control of such a vast area and that's why it talks about how everything was subdued and they were made at peace this is the area here which we want to focus on this evening i we're going to at a few minutes to recognize this. I'm sure there's the, the Dead Sea and the Salt Sea, there it is again uh, there's Galilee and there it is up there a key places there's Jerusalem uh, the so that's just to give you an idea, and this is the area and the map that we're going to work on. But that gives you just a sense of the, the scale of what was under his control at the time when Absalom revolts against his father. And I want, therefore, to look at some of the key cases. So we might have to start. We're we'll going to be jumping around lot here in the Bible this evening, but I hope We're going to start from the 2nd Samuel 15, and that's on page 319 of the copies of the Bible, in the view there, page 319. And uh, this is the, you will be familiar with this, we've been here in the last few weeks, this is the beginning of the account of Absalom, Mr. Goldberg, his father, and it talks in the um, early verses there about how he gets up early, um, verse 2, and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate whenever anyone came with to a complaint to the case before the king for a decision, Absalom, because the king was the final court of the king, Absalom would call out to him, where are you from? And he would answer your is from one of the tribes of Israel, and Absalom would say to him, look, your case are valid and proper, and there is no representative of the king that you do. and Absalom would add, if only I were a quick judge of the land. then everyone who has a complaint or for a case, you would come to me. And I would say that he receives justice. This is a bit like what you on the politics of the village, where you hear the conservatives and the living men saying, oh, if only we were in power and charge of the boss, everything would be fine. It's the same kind of idea. And it says um, in verse 5 and 6 that this is the way it developed in Afsan built of how And it says at the end of verse 6, he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Very deliberate to take and hat on Afsan's heart. At the end of four years, verse 7, Afsan said to the king, let me go to Hebron fulfill a I gave to the Lord. And Hebron is the first of the places that I want us to think about this evening. I'll put an arrow in that hat to give you an idea of where Hebron is. Why Hebron? Why is that where Absalom will go? If you remember back in chapter 3 and verse two of 2 Samuel it tells us there that Hebron is the place where uh, Absalom was born, where most of the and uh, it's a place where David himself had been crowned king, first of all Judah, and then of the whole of Israel you may remember that after the death of Saul, um, there was a division in the land, you may remember that Abner, who was commander of uh, the army, took one of uh, Saul's sons, uh, ish and basically set him up as, uh, as king, he wanted to perpetuate the family line of Saul he wanted to in his own power uh, as the key commander, the key person in control. Um, and when he was doing that, David was being crowned as king of Judah, the kind of southern section here, this area here, um, it's more and this. And he was crowned king in Hebron. And Hebron was the place we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 3, where whenever Abner realized he couldn't defeat David. And it uh, better to be on the side with him. where Abner comes to visit David and take a treaty with him. It's also the place where Abner dies. You may remember Joab, the commander of David's army, is not going to surrender his place to Abner, nor risk taking second place to anybody, and he kills Abner. Uh, and it's the place where Abner was buried. So an awful lot of the early reshaping of Israel as a nation after the death of Saul uh, under David's kingship, which was quite a different kind of kinship, was all happening at this place, Hebron. And it's the place where ultimately, it tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and the first five verses there, that the people gathered all of the people of Israel, both north and south Israel, and Judah came together, and that's the place where they acknowledged that David was going to be king uh, over Israel. There is another question, kind of prior question. Why did David choose Hebron as his place to establish his kingship in Judah and then ultimately in Israel as a whole? And his old town was Bethlehem, which is a bit further north. And at the time, this is all happening in Jerusalem. Well, it existed as a city, but it wasn't under their control. It was still in the hands of the local people of the Jebusites. So why did they not use Bethlehem? Saul so used his own territory as his part is. Why did David use Hebron? Well, we know that he sent gifts to the leaders of Hebron whenever he was plundering uh, some of Israel's enemies while Saul still chased him. But he did it with other kings or other leaders of other times as well. I reckon that David gave us a focal point in his early reign because Hebron is critical in the history of the people of Israel particularly it's founded in the stories of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I reckon David understood that if Israel, as the tribes, were divided in their loyalties, the one thing that they did have in common, the one place that they had in common, that they could all relate to, is Hebron. Because Hebron went back beyond their clan divisions. Hebron went back beyond their tribal divisions, back to the founding father of the nation, back to Abraham himself. And if you want to go back in Genesis, you'll find in Genesis chapter 13 that Abraham lived in the vicinity of Hebron. Now, Abraham was basically a nomad, a nomadic farmer and merchant. But a lot of his time was spent in this region of Hebron, also known as Mamre, in the Old Testament text, but it's the same place. And the other interesting thing about Hebron is, it's the first place where Abraham ever actually purchased land in that whole area. He was a woman, he'd been called by God to go and to settle in this land, and he'd been promised by God that his descendants would form a great nation, and God would give them this land. But it seemed as if none of it was ever to be Abraham's until his wife Sarah died. And when Sarah dies, he wants somewhere to bury Sarah. And you can read the uh, account of Genesis chapter 23, um, how he meets with the local Hittite people who are there, and he negotiates with them the purchase of some land. And the purchase of that land is in Hebron, and that's where Sarah is buried. It's also where Abraham is to be buried later on. If the place where Isaac, son of Abraham, takes his home. And particularly significant, it's also the place where Jacob, the father of the twelve sons, or the of whom derived the ancient twelve tribes of Israel, Jacob and uh, Joseph's two sons are Kudathan, as you may remember. It's where he made his home. And you can read about that in Genesis thirty five and Genesis thirty seven. So here's a place that's strategic in the history of the people. It still happens today. When people want to celebrate, when they want to commemorate something, space is still important. It's still important in politics. There's a big, hard all day. We're going in Dublin. There will be other meetings and rallies that will be held, and according to your political uh, viewpoint and allegiance, you will choose significant places to have rallies, to have special occasions. It happens all the time, even as individuals in as family. We very often go back to places. We go back to places we associate with our childhood, or with our birth, or with our family, even when we have long moved on from them. And it seems to me that that's what David is doing here, he's going back to the one place that unites Israel, and establishing his kingship in Hebron. It's also interesting, I don't think it's just a scene in this case, that Hebron was designated as one of the cities of refuge There were a number of cities identified uh, um, for the people of Israel as they occupied the land, as cities of refuge, where if someone had committed a crime inadvertently, or particularly a landfall, or of killed someone inadvertently, the and they would get themselves to the city of the refuge, they would be safe there, um, and their life would not be taken for the life that had been taken on accidentally. <coughs> but so it was also a city of refuge. But I think David chooses it strategically, as the commonly accepted holy brother of Israel. And David, when he goes there and establishes his throne there, is taking his claim to stand in that succession. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying that he stands in the line of the patriarchs. He <coughs> He's find himself not with the turbulent years of Saul, which were further north in the land of the territory of the but with something that goes back and predates the great division of the tribes themselves. Now that's why Absalom goes to Abraham. He goes back to the place where he was born, but he goes back to the place where the people recognized his father as king. He goes back to what is potentially one of the, uh, I would put it this way, holiest sites in Israel at that time. As I say, very nice. Jerusalem was not theirs. So they didn't occupy it. We had there, we had there, that was all the time And Absalom chooses the place very carefully. And that's no small part of why he gets outside very right quickly. He realizes the significance of the place and the significance of what is happening and absolutely establishes himself as king in the of his father. Second place that arises in this account uh, kind of 2 Samuel 15 and following, I want to add briefly, is the Jordan river, Because besides Jerusalem itself, where David is, Absalom has gone down to Hebron. David is in Jerusalem. He hears that Absalom has a, uh, pronounced himself as king and has won the hearts of the people. And David then takes himself off from Jerusalem, more or less due east at first, and down to the edge of the river Jordan. And we know from the uh, account in the text here that's how far And the river Jordan, which runs between the Dead Sea and Galilee, is a very important landmark, very important division um, in the history of those people. East of Jordan was the home of some of the tribes of history. You may remember right back to Joshua chapter 1. <coughs> the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh lived in the eastern part uh, of the Jordan River. But Joshua 3 gives us the whole story of the significance of the Jordan River for the people of God. They're all camped on the eastern side of it. Uh, Moses is dying and Joshua is now in control and they're about to go and possess the promised land. And what stands between them and the fulfillment of this promise delayed for 40 years because of their disobedience is the River Jordan. And the River Jordan, you have a replay of the kind of things that are recorded from the that happened in the Red Sea. You have the waters being stopped you have the people being able to walk through on the riverbed. you have them selecting stones, twelve stones, representing the twelve tribes, which are taken uh, from the bed of the river and then built into an altar, a memorial, uh, on the other side. And the crossing of the Jordan is um, one, more, well, one more watershed in the history of the people of Israel. Now he identifies himself in the Jordan and he's going Historically, if you like, the wrong way. And I think there's a symbolism in this where it's almost like a retreat. They're associated really with coming the other way. That's the big story about the Jordan uh, and the history of the Jordan. David is leaving Jerusalem because of what's happen- happening in Hebron and then the Jordan, the and he's crossing east. Sometimes people refer to, uh, particularly the prophets like Jeremiah, refer to going down to Egypt as part of a, an exile, it's like a second exodus, and that's what happened to Jeremiah. If you remember this word about Jeremiah comes across later after David, he eventually ends up carried down into Egypt, and it's symbolic of the whole exodus of the people of God in exile because of God's judgment, because of their symbols. And here you've got a situation where David is heading eastward across the Jordan. And there's something symbolic about what's happening at that particular point. The next piece that features in the story, um, and there's really named for us is way well, up here in the corner. And uh, Ahana, And this too has a lot of very interesting ancient associations. In you early going back to the book of Genesis to find this case, but it's very closely related to, to the story of Jacob. And it tells us that as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God, and that's what the name of the place actually means. And the significance of the story is, Jacob is particularly the leader at this point in his life. And he has to come and face his brother Esau. He has to make his way back home. But he's feeling very vulnerable, and he is not sure what the future is going to hold for And this is the place where he meets messengers from God. And he gives it this particular name, the camp of God. It's a place that in the history of the people of Israel is associated with God meeting his people at the front of their name, Meeting them when they're feeling believer, the And certainly David is getting out of the north. And it's certainly a place where David meets messengers from God. And chapter 17 of 2 Samuel, verse 27, give you some background there because when he comes to this place, there's a group of people waiting for him. Verse 28 of 17 tells us they brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery, they brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans and lentils, honey, curds, sheep and cheese, from cow's milk for David his people to eat. And so they said the people have become hungry and tired and persecuted in the desert. And this place becomes for the camp of God, where he meets messengers from God who provide for him at a really very difficult time. I think more significantly than everyone in this case, it is also one of the cities of refuge in Israel. David makes his way here, crosses the Jordan, <coughs> makes his way to this place, of all its ancient associations of God meeting leaders who are the leader, who are lost and unsure of the future holds for and meeting them in gracious provision and caring for them. There's something symbolic. Something reassured of going to one of those designated places associated with the provision of God for those in the Irish streets. But you know the story. We covered it a couple of weeks ago. While he's up in this area, um, Absalom puts together his army and he goes and crosses the Jordan after his father and there's a great battle in this region. The terrain is very difficult. The Bible that more men died because of the because of nature of the terrain. Absalom is killed by Joab, and eventually it's time for David to make his way back. But the, the political spin off of all of this is huge. There are many people in Israel saying, Well, okay, David did a great job for us, but Yvonne and Absalom, do you we know, really want him back? And there's no consensus for this particular point. <coughs> and certainly the people of Judah seem to be quite slow about having David back. And you may remember that from the story as we uh, covered it a few weeks ago. And what happens is, David comes back and he crosses at this point Gilgal on the return journey. Again, hugely significant place in the history of the people of Israel. When they crossed the Jordan way back with Joshua to enter the promised land on the first occasion, this was their crossing point. Gilgal became the base for Joshua from which he led the children of Israel and they entered the promised land. It's the first encampment of Israel in the promised land. It's the place where they took those a stones we were talking about in the middle of the riverbed and set them up as a place of worship. It's the first place where they celebrated the Passover in the promised land. And right throughout the campaign, it was Joshua's base and the place where he worked. It was one of three holy groups requested by Samuel to make offerings to the Lord during his ministry. It's the place where Saul's kingship was referred, it was a rallying point for the troops of Israel throughout Saul's kingship and again David makes it a focal point as he crosses the Jordan to be re-established as the king of Israel. So these four places are hugely significant in the history of the people, so just their names. Um, they're names that we recognize copied up from time to time in the Bible, but they're as significant in the life of David and at the time of David as any of the names we mentioned earlier on. Like Capitol Hill, Davos, Storm, wherever. They are hugely significant and there's no accident involved in the choice of some of these places and in the use of some of these places. So what's the point I'm making? There are all cases that tell a story, and this journey tells a story. And what I want to invite you to this evening is, as we go back on this journey, to make a similar journey in our own thoughts and our own minds. This journey represents a retreat. It represents a retreat of shame. It represents a retreat of fear. David is making this journey from Jerusalem across the Jordan to a city of refuge, a place called the Camp of God, where he hopes that he will make God the same favour that his good ancestor Jacob had. And he's making this journey because of decisions that he has made in his life, bad decisions, and the consequences of which are the sheep that he now appears to driven from the land by his son. It all began with that sheephood. It began with a deliberate act of adultery. It was followed up by an act of murder when he had her husband killed. It's been followed up by neglect where he steals the function officially property. properly as king of Israel. And neglect of his family and what has been happening there. But he failed to deal with Amnon, who raped his half sister Tamar. But he failed to deal properly with Absalom, who then murdered his half brother, Amnon, as a consequence of his rape. And there's a lot of aspects of David's life that David really understands that are part and parcel of this retreat. This is just not an accident of politics. It's not just that people are bored with David. David understands that there is something going on here that follows the consequences of decisions and actions that he has made, or neglect of his part. So this is a retreat. That's why I say it's like a reversal of the way the crossing Joshua into the promised land. Here's Israel's greatest king going backwards. It's a retreat to the city of angels, of messengers, a retreat to the city of refuge and trust in the Lord. And the return to Jordan, and the use of Gilgal on the way back in again, after the death last of the crossing point, is significant because it represents The reversal of this this disgrace. It's kind of symbolic of Israel reclaiming the land of the kingdom terms. It's symbolic of redemption. It's symbolic of the fact that in the grace and in the mercy of God, things can be reversed. It's symbolic of everything becoming what it was meant to be. It's the sign of God's approval to use the Old God, of the crossing. And my intention this evening, as we simply look at this journey and think about it, is to encourage some reflection on the journey. We all make journeys in our own lives as Christians. There are things that happen to us, sometimes difficult things that happen to us. And sometimes they happen as a consequence of the decisions that we make. Or the decisions that we do. Sometimes things come to us and they come as consequence. There are many that come to us in life and they're not really any consequence of our actions or our dreams. But sometimes things come to us as consequence. And the same thing what I want to encourage us all to do is to reflect about the journeys that so we have made maybe not physically but in our own hearts in our own heads. The journey that sometimes we make when it's harder to do when the faith that we had and the confidence that we have, the grace of God, and the kind of reflection of souls that we were singing and good, becomes very distant. And it becomes very distant because we are on a journey. It is like a journey of retreat, a journey of loss. And maybe sometimes that's because of actions that we have taken, things we have done that we are often. Maybe it comes because of carelessness or effort. Maybe it comes because of the things we can't talk about that we should be doing. Maybe it's a failure just to attend to our own spiritual well-being. Like David's failure to attend to the well-being of his son. Maybe it's a failure to attend to doing what is right. Like David failure to attend to doing what is right in quite a number of circumstances. But we go on a journey, and the journey is uncomfortable. And internally, even if we'll be out there, it's aware of it. it is a journey of Shia. a journey of retreat. and a journey of love. And that can happen to any person. That can be part and parcel of our experience. Packing up everything from Jerusalem, crossing the Jordan, and heading somewhere, anywhere. The question is, where do we go? Whether the shame is public or private, whether the peace is physical, emotional or spiritual, where do we go when we feel like that, when we're struggling as a Christian? We're struggling to hold on to our faith, we're struggling to hold on to our confidence about Christ and death and the cross, struggling to hold on to the confidence that we are and be the dominant and the family of God and God cares about us. Where do we go? David at least bit to go to somewhere which was associated with the mercy and the provision of God. And sometimes we are not that true in the end to that. Sometimes we just escalate ourselves further. But in fact, the thing that we should be doing is retreating to seek help. Retreating to seek fellowship, retreating to find people who can bring us back to God. Help us in that journey, messengers of God, the camp of God. (laughs) And if you're on a journey, or find yourself on a journey like this at some stage in your Christian life, then we encourage you to look for a city of refuge. To look for other Christians that you can trust who will help you. Be with you, pray with you, help you see things from a biblical perspective and not purely the internal perspective that we take on things. It's very often and very often So where do we go when we feel like that? The danger for the individual Christian is that we just go deeper into ourselves. Or we go to a distant place that has no associations with God and His grace. And we become more and more isolated. And it all seems more and more difficult. David at least has the wit to go to a, a place associated with grace. A city of refuge. A place where God, where favor, and sin is. He goes to a place where he can expect to make messengers from God. The thing to do when you're struggling as a Christian is not to have absent yourself from church, not to have sent yourself from the people of God, the God's people. It's the place you need to be, because you need that comfort, you need that encouragement, you need to hear that message of grace. And David revisits one of the great ancient sites, as leaves symbolically containing himself to the care of God. It can be very difficult sometimes to write. It can be very difficult sometimes to read the scripture. We just feel like we're in the truth. But those are the right things we need to do, for we help to do Where do we go? Many of us, when we're feeling that sense of lostness going for ourselves, some of us, if I can use the analogy again, go back to the chip where we came from. Some of us just wonder for us in deliverance. The reminder in Hebrews is very here in his advice to Christians, And his advice as he writes in Hebrews 4 is simply this: move to the throne of grace. A very little nice
1: guy.
0: particularly when you're on the street, you're very difficult to believe that there's going to be a way back. A way back to the confidence in God that you must have. A way back to acceptance of God that you once be sure that you've had because of your faith. But watch this journey this evening? And follow this journey as he works his way back from the city of refuge and comes to this historic place the God crossing the different Jordan, where he makes his way back to Jerusalem. <coughs> And bear in mind that that journey tells us that there is not only a place of safety and a place of grace and comfort, a place of forgiveness and hope, but there is a way back. <coughs> and sometimes the Christian have to break the right hope the way. Remember many years ago, someone who would have heard the use of the book, the one theologian uh, wrote these words. He said, one of the most difficult things about being a Christian is accepting the fact Awareness of neglect and awareness of the drift away from God is a much heavier burden to bear than for someone who doesn't really care very much. We we the weight of it, the awfulness of it, as you reflect on it, you think about well, it, seems to be so great sometimes that we come to the irrational, wrong conclusion but we really aren't worth it. And the you've this story, this journey tells us that there is a way out. A way out the grievance of God and the grace of God for whatever we your find yourself. David finds himself in exile as a consequence of adultery and murder and theft. When nearly left Jerusalem, the city. Immediately mean, you go out on the east side of the city, you go down the hill, you go down into valley, the Valley. And up the, the other side, and this is all pretty close I mean, it's not a huge distance if you've never been there. You can stand on the Mount Olives, you can see Jerusalem right here, you can see the wall very right clearly. So the first part of his journey took go down to Jerusalem down the valley and up the Mount walls, Olives. And that's what it's referring to there in the first place. And the Mount walls, Olives hardly ever pieces in the Old Testament. I, I tried to do a search for it to see how it was, to see the Mount of all of us referred to the Mesopotamia. Hard to be ever confused. And this is one of the very few references. But it got me thinking about another journey that was made out of Jerusalem, but I don't think it will die the much of all of us. It's a journey recorded for us in all of the Gospels. It's a journey recorded for us in John chapter 8. Where in John chapter 18 verse 1, John says, Jesus crossed into on the path. and went to prayer. He went to pray and the all in the garden of And this journey that David made down the hill and up the other side, the weeping as he went, was a journey that Jesus also made straight after the Passover and the Supper. <coughs> it's a journey which for him had as much to do with tears as it did with you. Because Gethsemane was that place where he wrestled with prayer, but we get some small insight as to the passion of Christ at that particular point as he anticipated the cross that lay ahead for him and called his disciples to pray and were able to keep up with what was going on. And it just talks about Jesus' stress there, and a the stress that was a mirror in the reach almost of the distress to deal with. And what was the consequence of that? The consequence of that was not only crucifixion but resurrection. It was a journey that was made with a heavy heart, with much grieving, with great tears, with much shame and physical pain associated with it, but it was a journey that was ultimately to result in resurrection. We all make journeys in our lives as Christians, and sometimes they are journeys that treat the of retreat rather than journey going forward. You find yourself in a situation of retreat You can also look yourself about well, why that might be Look for a place of refuge. Don't simply retreat into yourself. Don't fall into the trap of entering the places God cannot be with you. Look for a place of refuge and the messengers of God will sustain you, pray for you, comfort you, and encourage you. And believe this, there is a way back. There is a way back to you. There is a way back to you. There really is no such thing as a Christian. who forever lives in the margins. And they there, never had God. This is God's great Even in the midst of those problems.